KVM East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. Hello again, this is Burl Schwartz talking. Welcome to our first show of the new year. We're pleased to be back on the impact. If you're a regular reader of City Pulse, you know that we just published our annual People Issue. That's when we feature interviews with 10 local people we find interesting. Some are prominent, but most are just good people doing good things to help the community either directly or indirectly. This week and next, we'll bring you excerpts of those interviews. First up, Skylar Ashley of our staff interviewed Jose Aste, the head chef and owner of Tante at the Allen Neighborhood Center. Aste, 35, grew up in Miami and came to Lansing in 2013 when he gave up his career in aviation to pursue his real passion, cooking. In this case, Peruvian cooking. You know, I, I was in a point where I was kind of just reevaluating um, everything and kind of like uh, listening to my heart, you know, um, like what I really, really wanted to do. And um, and I needed some help. I had, um, in order to validate it, I had a, you know, I have a, not to validate, but just to to get another set of eyes or opinions about, you know, what I wanted to do. I have a, a dear friend of mine, um, his name is JR, and he's a, you know, small business consultant. Uh, JR? Yeah, his name is JR. Okay. He's a very he close friend of mine. What was that? man? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, he, um, I remember talking to him and I, you know, I, um, I remember going to him and I said, listen, I, you know, I have this idea, you know, I want to, you know, kind of set aside aviation and start something of my own. And it first started with like, I've, I've always, since I can remember, I always liked hosting little dinner parties or cooking for friends in college um, you know, learning how to cook for my for my mom, for my father. Um, but, um, you know, at first I remember sitting down with my friend and I was like, yeah, you know, he's like, what do you want to do? You know, and I said, yeah, I want to have a, a restaurant. I want to, you know, I want people to try Peruvian cuisine. And, and, and that's really what, it, that's what it is. But I remember him challenging me and he was like, you know, that's, that's not it. That's, there's more, you know, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And I remember thinking about it. I did my own why statement, I remember, and what I figured out was is because I love I love people. Generally really, really like people. And my my goal really is not just a restaurant, but to create an environment that is inclusive, something different, something you know, for families, for everybody. Um not that there isn't that now, but you know, I just have a an idea of a way to do it, and um, and that's kind of how I started this. That in order to start that, I wanted to become a restaurateur, um, and you know, start um, you know building those footsteps of that you know environment that I want, that climate that I want to you know create when people come and you know dine dine with us. But at the same time, it was, you know, was, was people, you know, I wanted to be founded by people, you know, kind of for people, you know, a place where, you know, again, like we can all just come together, you know, and that, that's what on time means is. Who taught you how to cook? 
how did you learn to master um, Peruvian cuisine? Well, mastering Peruvian cuisine, I, I am not there yet. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it's been, really, it starts with eating, you know, and man, that you know, my all we ate was Peruvian food at my house. You know, my mom, my dad cooked. Um, they were always cooking. They were entertainers. We always had people coming over. Um, so I really, I, I got into it by, you know, trying this, loving the food, obviously, my culture. Um, but really like the, the passion for it, just watching my parents, they were really good. And like, they were awesome entertainers. We always had family over my cousins, you know, it was a party, you know, a reunion and, um, and where did everyone gather was in the kitchen. And I really, really love that. And that's something that I carry in my heart all the time. It's that's, that's, that's the vision, you know, um, you know, so that's, that's what I want to do, but on a bigger scale. But in terms of cooking and everything, um, my mother, my mother and my father. Thanks, Kyler. You're listening to City Pulse on 89FM, The Impact. This week and next, we're bringing you excerpts of interviews with the 10 local folks featured in our annual People issue this week. And our next People person is also interviewed by Skylar Ashley. He's Jerry Norris, who at 54 runs a community center he helped start on the east side called The Fledge. He founded it after he sold a software company. I was raised in Lansing, and I wanted to give back after I sold my last software company. And I have always had the thought, I've always been, uh, it's a quote that I love, and it's, uh, genius is lost in poverty. And there's so many people living in poverty or under the Alice threshold in Lansing that why why would I move anywhere else and do something and why would I start another business to try to hoard wealth when I could do something that had more meaning I guess and then the other thing was I've seen so many things that were exclusive that inclusion became my word and my theme that I really wanted to do. And so we wanted, we always wanted to be hyper inclusive and radically inclusive. And that comes one, because we believe that everybody needs a chance because chances are hidden by that poverty. And uh, nature does the same thing. So it's something called biomimicry, which is we do what nature does. So if you look at any pond, you'll, you'll rarely see like a net over it, whatever seeds fall in, whatever animals fall in, whatever birds land there. They accept it all and they deal with it. They might eat it. They might um, it, let it grow and thrive. But we shouldn't exclude because inclusion brings diversity and diversity brings strength and resilience. You help kickstart small, sometimes even micro businesses, whether that's by providing small grants or by giving the would-be entrepreneurs a community space where they can brainstorm and network. Um, Not a lot of other community services, um, community centers go that far. 
so why is this uh, fundraising slash incubation aspect so important to the pledge? Because, you know, I'll go back again to geniuses lost in poverty as one thing, but poverty can be eliminated with three key points. And the first point is competency and education. The second point is connection to a marketplace. And the third point is a little bit of funding. And so if we can get entrepreneurs that they already exist, but they're flipping Percocet, they're flipping guns, they're shooting at each other, they're, they have these rivalries. <clears throat> and if you look at the skill that it takes to do all of those things, they're very entrepreneurial skills. But the input that they have is so, that, that people have sometimes is so limited and the opportunity that they can see is not, it, well, the opportunity they can see is limited and the opportunity we tell them that is there is unrealistic. It's not believable. So if I can help an entrepreneur get an organization going that will solve a problem in our community, then we can make our community stronger. And if our community gets stronger, then we won't have to lean on the government and other institutions to help us out. We can help ourselves. And if we can help ourselves, then we can, we, we can basically climb out of poverty. Thanks again to Skylar. Now it's my turn to interview, and my subject was Amy Bigman, the rabbi at Sherazedic, the synagogue in East Lansing. Bigman, who is 55, has been a rabbi for nearly 30 years. She grew up in Detroit and worked in Chicago before coming to our community. The U.S. Supreme Court now has ruled that uh, in favor, I guess, of uh, uh, churches being exempt uh, to some extent right. from right. shutdown orders. Uh, what, what's your take on that? So, you know, I believe very strongly in the separation of religion and state, and I, I speak about it often. Um, but frankly, in this case, I think that we should all be following this. We, we have seen evidence of, of churches um, having worship services, and we've seen evidence of places having, you know, large weddings and so on and so forth, and um, these being spreader events. And so in Jewish tradition, uh, we talk about the importance of pikuach nefesh, of saving a life. And uh, we need to do our best to, to save lives. And so we have made the decision at our congregation, as have um, most of my colleagues, both Jewish and not, um, to, uh, to maintain our distance, uh, to, to stay as safe as we possibly can. So, um, so we've made these decisions for that. We are also, we have a committee that's also started working on what will be our plans for reopening when the numbers are down here in Michigan and when it is safer to do so. Um, we know that we won't be able to reopen immediately. Um, and into, uh, I don't want to say immediately, but in, when we reopen, we're not going to be able to uh, 
to open in the exact same way that we have. So um, we are looking at all of those possibilities. And uh, you know, how do we do our best to keep our, our members, our visitors, and our staff as safe as possible? So um, I think it's prudent to remain closed in this way. The work continues on. I'm working from home, as you know, as we're talking right now from I'm sitting in my home office, um, and um, we um, we're all working uh, as safely as we possibly can. So um, that's what we're going to do until until the time comes when we can be back in person. And when I have had to go into the office for something, which is rare, we are all wearing our masks and maintaining our distance. And um, I go into my office and try to stay in my office and not go into other people's offices as much as possible. So most of what we do, we have staff meetings via Zoom, telephone, text, you know, email, um, and the work of the congregation continues on. Are, are your regular services only online? Yes. 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 Okay. So with the exception of tonight, which is a special Zoom service that we've had people have to register for ahead of time, mm-hmm. um, everything else, you just go to our website, and at 7 o'clock on Fridays and at 9.30 on Saturdays, you click on the little live stream link, and mm-hmm. you'll see me in the sanctuary. Okay. And so that's um, how um, you're doing it. I wanted to talk to you about your appointment by Governor Whitmer to the, mm-hmm. uh, the Children Trust Fund, to shorten it up. Uh, yeah. And uh, I'm curious uh, what you've learned and what you think needs to be accomplished in Michigan. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, it was quite a surprise and quite an honor um, to be um, to be asked to apply for that position representing the religious community of the state um, and um, so I've been on that um, on the and that trust fund board for just almost exactly a year at this point and I'm still learning um, one of the things we actually were we just went through um, a board member evaluation just in the last couple of weeks and one of the things that um, that I have said and that uh, some others have said is that you know, it is a little more difficult to learn a little about things because we're not allowed to go do site visits at this point and all of the things that COVID prevents. <clears throat> so um, I'm looking forward to learning more and to a time when I can go and see what's being done. But I'm I'm very impressed by the work that the staff does um, and 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 how they've kept going during this time period um, and uh, and the individual organizations that the Children's Trust Fund support, you know, continuing to find ways to help families and children um, across the state of Michigan. There are programs that are um, that are supported by the Children's Trust Fund in every county, both the lower and upper peninsulas. And to, to me, when I when I see that, when I see that graphic, when they send out, here's how many are being done in each of these different um, in different counties, it's uh, it's really amazing the work that goes on, and there's a lot of wonderful people across the state who are working to promote children and and their families, their health, and their safety, and their welfare. Um, you know, and and teaching teaching parents how to 
nurture their children and and offering services that help uh, prevent child abuse and child neglect. It is sadly one of those things that has to happen uh, has you know is happening in our in our communities um and it's it's sad that we need an organization like this but having said that i'm very glad that it exists and i'm honored to be part of it you're listening to city pulse on 89 fm the impact let's return to our interviews with the folks who've been featured in this week's annual people issue one of the political surprises of 2020 was in meridian township where deborah guthrie defeated brent dreyfus to become the township clerk. Guthrie, 49, was the township's communication director and ran home TV till she resigned in 2019. Sean Bradley conducted the interview. First question would be is what, what, uh, what drew you to that position of clerk? I wanted to, I wanted to run for uh, the Meridian Township clerk's position to to not only be a positive ambassador for the community, uh, but to bring civility to the position of clerk on the Meridian Township Board and to uh, administer elections according to state law. Those are the three main reasons that I ran for township clerk. And I don't know if you want me to expand on that. Or yeah, I guess the answer. other the other thing is, is um, was there also a kind of when you're a clerk you're involved with constituents on a regular basis i mean maybe not so much this year but uh in a regular year uh in a regular time period you're involved with constituent needs all the time is that part of it too is that the being you know kind of being of the friendly face for the constituents and kind of you know giving them the customer service that they're looking for as far as the clerk's office is concerned does this does that play, yeah, did that play a part in it too absolutely uh it's uh, an elected official a public servant any staff member our number one job is customer service uh we have an obligation to the residents of meridian township to our visitors to our businesses to anyone that comes to the township and has a proposal in front of us we have an obligation to treat them with respect, to treat them with dignity, to be inclusive, to be welcoming. And those are all things that I wanted to bring to the clerk's office. Uh, my mentors, while I was a staff member of Meridian Township were former clerks, uh, Mary Halbrecht and Virginia White. They were dear mentors of mine. They gave me lots of great advice while they were township clerks. And, you know, I watched their interaction with people and with the community and with businesses and you know our our former township clerk virginia white she oversaw the 150th uh, anniversary celebrations and she kept impeccable uh, uh, records of township history and i followed in those footsteps when i organized the 175th anniversary and you know i've lived in this community for over for over 40 years my parents went to school here my kids went to school here mm -hmm. uh, and so it means a lot to me to have people in public office that who care about the people in the community and care about our businesses and have a relationship because they understand what the needs of the community are and they listen and they respond 
respond accordingly to take care of residents. So yeah, so so that was a really big part of it. So are there other people that you see, like residents you see regularly or ones you've gotten to know at all? Oh my gosh, in the 40 years that I've been here? No, I mean, I mean, just as, as uh, I guess, yeah, is, you know, in, and also in, as part of your job as clerk, but, uh, but also kind of, you know, it's been hard this year because you, you know, we're all kind of not supposed to go in government buildings this, you know, during this time. But, but like, I guess my question would be is, have you developed relationships through your time as a public servant, you know, with just, you know, residents, you know, uh, just, you know, regular people, you know, people that are not in government or are not in a special capacity, but just folks come in to the office? So I guess to answer your question, I don't believe that while there may be limitations due to COVID in regards to uh, residents or businesses being able to physically come into the office, but I think this Zoom interview is a perfect example of how we as a community are able to overcome some of the issues that we've faced and challenges that we've had due to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I have found a number of ways and residents have found a number of ways to reach out to me and connect with their concerns, either you know, via phone or email or social media or um or zoom just like this and um you know i i've i don't feel as if there has been limitations in regards to meeting resident concerns mm -hmm. and any anyone that you know I've, I've like i said i've lived here for over 40 years i've worked for the township for over 20 years so of course i felt uh, relationships with residents in our community, leaders in our community, uh, business owners in our communities. Um, you know, I have I have a lot of uh, connections that I built over time, and so I I haven't felt that if I've needed to reach out to them or they've needed to reach out to me, that there has been uh, any challenges. Finally, a neighbor of City Pulse on Michigan Avenue is the Women's Center of Greater Lansing. Its director since last March is Melina Brand, who at 27 is running an organization that she turned to herself a few years ago for counseling. Kyle Kaminsky did the interview. I guess in your own words, what's the purpose of this organization? Sure, yeah. Um, so we were started by a group of women who were um, in the Lansing Now I think that's what it's called. Yeah, National Organization of Women, um, who really kind of figured out there's this need for a space for women, for like specifically just for women to work on like resumes and um, employment type stuff. And then they realized that this need was like really specific for women who are leaving domestic violence situations. Mm. Um, so that's how we kind of started as just like this place to empower women who were leaving bad situations or who were entering the workforce who haven't been in the workforce before um, and then they really realized that there were a lot of other issues that came along with this and so that's when the counseling came into it they were like well we can help these women get jobs but they also need like coping mechanisms 
to help them stay in these jobs and to help like live a better life. And so we just grew from there. And um, now we're a little bit more focused on providing like the counseling to everyone who is not insured or underinsured. Um, and then we also still do the employment services, but it's a little less um, with everything being online now. How many, uh, what's the impact here? How many uh, people do, does this organization service on a, an annual basis or any sort of statistical impact that you have at your fingertips here? Yeah, so I actually just made um, our yearly overview. And so this year it was a little weird, but um, this year we provided over 1,500 counseling sessions. Um, and that was over for over 90 women, and that was virtually and in person. Um, we also served over 600 women getting personal needs. So things like tampons, pads, uh, soap, shampoo, conditioner, that kind of stuff. Um, we also had over 300 hours of support groups. So we do um, domestic violence support group, sexual assault support group, uh, grief and loss. And now we have a social group just to kind of combat that isolation that a lot of people are feeling. Um yeah, so this year we served over like 700 women. Normally, it's probably more 800 to 900. And these are all from the greater Lansing area? or? Yes, yeah. And you have a physical office here in on East Michigan Avenue, right? We do, yep. And it's not, is it open currently or is it, are all services virtual at the moment? Uh, we are doing curbside pickup of like personal needs items and professional clothes. Okay. Uh, but everything else is virtual. And so I guess, uh, what attracted your interest in this field? I mean, how, you mentioned that you uh, started as a client, but I mean, how did you climb the rungs to executive director? Um, well, I my sister had a traumatic brain injury when I was in high school, and that really pushed me into the field of social work and doing um, like therapy and that kind of stuff. But once I kind of got into the field, I realized that I, I really like doing more of the macro stuff. So being able to you know, serve people, but also being able to connect people with services, um, not so much providing those services. Mm -hmm. And so um, when I saw, I originally was trying to volunteer at the Women's Center and I saw that this job was open and I was like, hey, that seems like something I really want to do. It's something that I could be good at. Um, and so I just, you know, shot my shot and here we are. <laughs> How long have you been the executive director now? Almost two years, two years in March. So is it everything you expected it to be? I mean, what's uh, how rewarding of a gig is it at the end of the day? It's super rewarding, but super stressful. Um, I think I underestimated how much stress it would be or how much um, falls onto your shoulders. But mm. luckily, we have like a pretty a pretty good group of nonprofits in the Lansing area. And once you connect with some of the other executive directors, it's really it's really nice to have them on your side and bounce ideas off of them. So that has really helped. Talk to me a bit about the, the gap that these services fill in Lansing. I mean, if not for the Women's Center, is there a, a real need for these types of services? Are you guys uh, plugging a, a necessary hole here? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of women and um, just people in general that are uninsured or underinsured, or even if they have insurance, it, co it still costs like 50 to $75 a session to see a therapist. Mm -hmm. um, so we're really meeting that need for people who – not necessarily like afford it in any other way, but still have really stressful um, stuff happening in their lives or traumas that they need to work on that are impacting their life. So we really are um, serving those people who otherwise would not be getting these services, really. 
Let's talk about COVID-19. How, how has that impacted services uh, for your organization and, and what ways have you guys worked to overcome it? Yeah, so we had to switch all of our groups and our um, counseling to virtual, which <clears throat> is a little difficult just because you're not getting that person-to-person, face-to-face interaction, which really is important in counseling. But it also um, made it a little easier for some clients uh, so they didn't have to you know, find transportation. They didn't have to set up two hours out of their day uh, to come over here. Um, there's a little more difficulty in especially for domestic violence, people who are in domestic violence situations because, you know, they couldn't necessarily um, leave their house or they didn't feel comfortable doing that kind of stuff in the house with their um, abuser. Mm-hmm. But overall, our, our need um, has increased. So we've have, we have a lot of people on our wait list right now to get counseling just because everything that has happened this year. Well, that does it for this week. If you tune in next Sunday, you'll hear excerpts uh, from interviews with the other five uh, people we're featuring in this year's People Issue. You can pick up a copy of that in over 250 locations uh, until Wednesday when our new issue comes out. Homelessness will be our cover story. And of course, you can find these interviews uh, online anytime at www.lansingcitypulse.com. Thanks to Skylar Ashley for producing this week's show. He and I return next week for City Pulse. I'm Burl Schwartz.